You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter number 6. Mark 6. I believe this is our seventh message in just this chapter. And we will be concluding it this morning. And I'm so thankful that you're here. My heart is just filled with just worship and adoration unto our Lord. And uh, Miss Elizabeth Burgos would not want me to do this, but it's her birthday today. So make sure that you let her know that. And uh, she's, she's embarrassed right now, but that's okay. All right, let her know that, uh, that you are wishing her a happy birthday. It's good to have Mike and Danielle Florendo back. And uh, now this, and then I can't wait till next week. I, you know what I want to do? I want our whole worship team up here next week. Max is away this week and everybody uh, up here uh, next week and uh, all, I don't know, I think we even have backups. Everybody, I don't even know if that's possible. Mike's back there and he's like, we don't have enough microphones for that, but that's okay. Uh, but looking forward to uh, next week and uh, everyone Uh, being back together, but my heart is full from the worship. Mark chapter number 6. We're going to continue in our series uh, this morning entitled Jesus uh, from the book of Mark. And my prayer is that God has used this this book in your life. I was uh, spent a little bit of time yesterday afternoon with my my daughter. We kind of went on one of those Starbucks dates. Those are pretty awesome, right? Yeah, a little overpriced, but it's okay. Uh, She's worth it. And uh, I asked her, I said, Danielle, Within reason, which Starbucks do you want to go to? Because, I mean, she might have picked, like, you know, somewhere in the city, and I'm like, nope. But so she's, like, downtown, the one, like, in Hamilton down there, and, uh, downtown Redwood City. And so we went down there, and we were enjoying our Starbucks. And, and I asked her, you know, about just kind of the book of Mark and, you know, how it's been ministering to her. And it was just a blessing to kind of hear from her, 13-year-old, to just say how, you know, she just seen, like, the pages kind of come alive for her. And that encourages me. It's her dad. And uh, my prayer is that uh, you would have a similar type of uh, just thing going on in your life. And those of you that can make it to Israel this coming year in 2020, uh, I I promise you the uh, the Gospels that you read and the places that you have read about, they truly do come alive. And looking forward to hosting that uh, in uh, the spring of next year. Mark chapter number 6, hopefully you've found it by now. Verse number 53, And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him, and ran through the whole region round about, and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into the villages and the cities or country, They laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, by the border of his garment, or the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. This morning I want to look into this text, and I want to preach a message entitled, The Picture Within the Picture. This text seems very similar. As Mark just kind of goes, he's he's a quick hitter, just... Scene after scene after scene. And something really began to just speak to me early on uh, this week. And uh, I just pray that it will be a blessing to us. The picture within the picture. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the privilege that we 
can gather here this morning under the sound of it. And Lord, I pray that I would only speak that that You would want me to speak. I pray that we would be true to the, true to the text and true to, the, to really kind of the, the narrative that we have seen so far as we've been going through this book for some six, seven months. And God, I ask that, Lord, You would uh, just empower the listener as well. I pray that we'd be engaged. I pray that uh, we, our minds wouldn't be drifting to things that we have to do later on uh, this afternoon or maybe even uh, this week. But God, we'd be locked in. And Lord, I will uh, do my best to yield to Your Spirit as You desire to speak through me. And Lord, we give You the glory for it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning's message with a question like I have done so many times in this series. And the question is this. Do you live in the details of your everyday experience with the big picture in view? Do you as an individual, kind of in your, in your everyday experiences of your life, your Mondays, your Tuesdays, your Wednesdays, do you live with the big picture in view? God's Word is the ultimate big picture. It is the before origin and the beyond destiny view of all things. The big picture in the, the Word of God is given to orient you so that you would understand your world. So that you would understand yourself. So that you would understand God and the meaning of life and the meaning of His purpose in your life. Let me try to explain it this way. Imagine this morning, all of us, we went up to the, up to the city of San Francisco and we found ourselves at Market and Fifth Street. Does anybody know what is at Market and Fifth Street? Anybody? What, what's at Market and Fifth Street? Anybody? And what, <laughs> Elizabeth lived there 50 years ago. So what is at Market and Fifth Street is the Westfield Center. So it's the mall there. But I want, you to, I want you to picture yourself. You're there at Market and Fifth Street, and you have to get up somewhere near Franklin and Gilbert. And we're all lost. We know that we're on earth. Right? We know that we are in San Francisco, but we're lost. We don't have a clue where we're going. And there's this, there's this man that walks up to us. He kind of has that San, Fransca, San Franciscan vibe, you know what I mean? And so you go up to him and he say, hey, I need, I need to get to a certain location. Lost, can you help us? And with great skill, he says, hey, you're going to go on this street and you're going to make a left and you're going to make it a right and you're going to find yourself right at Franklin and Gilbert. Now, why is he able to do that? He's able to do that because this man has the ability to kind of have the helicopter view, so to speak, of San Francisco, and he's got that in his brain. He knows where all the neighborhoods butt up against each other. He knows every street and where it crosses the other one. You cannot get lost if you were with this man. And that is what the marvelous narrative of the Word of God is meant to do for you. It is meant to give you that, that kind of wisdom. It's meant to give you that kind of understanding and guidance 
so that you and I will never get lost in our day-to-day life. David, the psalmist, put it this way in Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture, or the Word of God, so to speak, is given by inspiration of God, breathed by God, and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here's here's basically, if I can put it this way, here's what Paul's saying. The Word of God, it's what you need in your life to mature you so that you can live unto good works, so you can live the right kind of way. And so the psalmist said, hey, the Word of God, it's like a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. If you've ever had the privilege of being in the the Holy Land, you'll notice that it's it's very rocky. And there's like a word picture here that they would kind of, sometimes they they, they would carry lamps. Sometimes they would even literally put some on their feet at times. Why? Because they didn't want to stumble. They didn't want to fall. And Paul says, hey, the Word of God all of it, all of, the, all of the doctrine, all of the reproof, everything that you find in scriptures, it's to help you, it's to aid you in your life here on this earth and to live in a way that is pleasing to the Father. And so on our text of Matthew 6, the storm has settled. We've looked at that over the last couple weeks by the command of Christ. And the disciples, they, they land in Gennesaret. Now, uh, Nick, if you could bring up that that, that, that picture here. Uh, this Gennesaret is between Tiberias, which would be on the south, and Capernaum, which is on the north. It is a very, very fertile uh, part of Palestine, and it was very, very populated. For those of you that if, if you have the opportunity to go on this Israel trip, literally we will drive on a road from Tiberias all the way up around the Sea of Galilee there, and you'll and you'll see what this text is referring to here it's just a it, it, it was so rich with with minerals and so as you're kind of as you're kind of picturing that let's look at verse number 53 and when they had passed over that was passed over the sea of galilee remember they were rowing for like seven eight hours and there was just to no avail the wind and the sea was just it was just raging earlier in this text and then jesus sees him and he comes down and he doesn't just calm the storm instead he walks on water he was after the men. He wanted uh, to, to, to work in their life more than just fix the problem. And so now they've passed over. Jesus has calmed the sea. And they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. Now, although Jesus was not expected here, He is immediately recognized and the word gets out. The crowd begins to gather. The frenzy of the mayhem. And, you know, they've heard of his accomplished ministry. And so they're coming and they're seeking Jesus. In this account of this moment in Christ's ministry, there are embedded this similar narrative of the redemptive story. This passage has a lot more in it than would maybe just that maybe that you would just imagine. Chapter number seven is probably one of the most theological chapters in the book of Mark, and we'll get into that. Then you find yourself making your way into chapter eight, and that story begins to push you into Jesus's path to the cross. But we're kind of we're kind of in between here. We're right at the end of chapter number six, and 
I want to pull some familiar elements out of this text for us. And as I do that, I'm going to ask you to stick with me. I'm going to ask you to not be like, well, we've already heard this, Ryan. We've already seen that in, in, in the previous chapters. Because I want you to see a much bigger picture. This is kind of just a picture in the grand picture of our text. And what you're immediately confronted with as we look into Mark 6 is that his disciples and Jesus, as they land on the shore, is they're confronted with the dramatic brokenness of this world. Again, that's nothing new. We have found that so often in our texts as we've moved through it. And this week, I I tried to imagine what it was like when the word begins to get out that these dear people, they begin to uh, they, they begin to bring people to Christ, all those that were crippled, all those that were lame, those who could not even, the text says, they, they couldn't even get off their beds. The demon-possessed, the suffering of all kinds. Imagine the cries. Imagine the, the wailing. Imagine the people pushing and shoving because he was their ticket. They wanted to be healed. They didn't want anyone to, to get in the way. And so imagine the crowds. It says that they, that they went in all the, 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 the regions around them and they start bringing all of these people to Jesus. And try to, try to imagine that for a moment. The end of Mark is a stark picture of the world in which we live. Because sin has left the world dramatically broken. And if you and I were ever wondering if grace wasn't necessary, If restoration in this world wasn't necessary, open your eyes and look around. See what is going on in our world and you see brokenness. We are are hit by it every single day. All you've got to do is take a downtown walk in downtown Redwood City in the theater district or wherever it is that you call home and you and you see the brokenness of our world. You can go to even to the found, you know, the, the financial areas of our uh, of our area, and still you still see. And I often I begin to wonder myself, what what are the stories of these people? What are the what are the home life like for these people? What are their what are the children like? I think of how they got to the place that they are in. We sometimes see. Insane people just walking in the street back and forth and they're uttering the same thing over and over again. Or you see someone that maybe is missing some portions of their limbs and they've got a cup that they've no doubt begged with for months. And your heart goes to them. Your heart is broken by seeing the affluent, not being able to solve their problem, all the way down to the pauper begging in the brokenness of a fallen world around us. This is a broken world. And it's been ravaged by sin. A couple of our ladies, they went to a MOPS conference in Florida and they learned of a ministry that salvages children out of trafficking. And some of you, that's your, your heart's passion and awesome. And you look in a world around us and the depravity and the debauchery and the disgusting nature 
of the world around us. And yet this world is groaning and it's waiting for redemption. And hear what I'm about to say. And there is hope. It says in Romans 8.22, For we know that the world, the whole creation, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And you might say, Ryan, how is there in this moment as we read in, in Mark chapter number 6 of those that are broken, those that are discouraged and, and, and demon-possessed, and how is there hope in that? Well, because although the people do not know it, God understands that the only way that what is broken can be fixed is that He will send His Son, Jesus Christ, to literally walk upon this earth in the flesh to invade the brokenness of His creation. And this crowd that you read about in chapter 6, it doesn't know who they have encountered, but who they've encountered is Almighty God, the one that was literally just walking on water. They've encountered Him who is in their midst. And we see in verse 56, and whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and they besought him that they might touch, if it were, the border or the hem or the very edge of his garment. As many as touched him were made whole. And so you see what, you see what Mark says in that. He, he's, he's encapsulating time for Jesus. Every city that he would go into, every single village that he would go into, people would throng him. The brokenness of this world, they would come to this one that they had heard about. He is the healer. He is the one that can, you know, that, that can heal the blinded eye and so forth. And so Jesus, he's come and the creator is able to touch his creation. And he's able to renew it by his power. And it's so amazing that it doesn't take months it doesn't take years. It doesn't, it doesn't take a medical degree. It only takes His command. This is, the type of, this is the type of Messiah that we have. Oh, we've sung about Him this morning. And what a day that's going to be when we actually get to see Him again. But listen, there's hope for the brokenness of our world. These dear people, they're, 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 they come and they're running. They have no theology. They have no understanding yet of who they've encountered. But the fact of the matter is, it is God in the flesh. All the creation's been groaning for this, Paul says. And it's now beginning to be fixed. And that is why in this miserable condition, you could hear me say, there is great hope. And so in a world that is so broken around us, my friend, there is great hope. And here's the reason why. Because we are met with, once again, the amazing compassion of Christ. He really does care whether it's a woman who has suffered with blood issue for 12 years, whether it's a maniac that is in the tombs cutting himself, whether it is a, ma a prestigious man, a, a religious ruler, his daughter is now dead, or, or whether it is a group of thousands of people that are hungry, or whether it's the disciples that are terrified in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, they're not going anywhere, and he walks in on the water. He cares, he cares, he cares. Do you remember the equation I gave you a couple weeks ago? Right? Do you remember it? Divine power plus divine compassion equals what? Everything you need. What good is it if you learn about the amazing power that Jesus has if he's not compassionate with that power? 
And so you find that you serve a God that has everything at his fingertips, all of that power, and oh, he's got it at your disposal because he's compassionate. It equals everything you need. You ought to put that on your refrigerator. Seriously. You ought to make magnets of it. Here we go, anniversary gift right there, Mike. I'm just kidding. Give it out. I want you to think about something. Do you realize that Christmas is only 101 days away? Oh, I hope your heart didn't just sink with that. Listen, there's still 101 days away. You, 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 You can still take care of what you need. But seriously, there's a great Christian hymn that we tend to sing at Christmas time. It's called Joy to the World. And one of the lines in that song says, He makes His blessings known far as the curse is found. Well, you know how far the curse went? Everywhere. Every corner and crevice and under every rock of this earth and world that you and I exist in is the curse has been found. And and He's going to make all of that right. And so every healing pictures that Jesus cares about His broken creation There will be a day when all His children will live in the new heaven and the new earth. Listen, there's there's coming a day when there's going to be no more sin. We kind of sang about it a moment ago. We sang it again, right? There's, There's coming a day when there's going to be no more suffering. There's going to come a day when there's no more racism. And there's coming a day when there's going to be no more disease. There's coming a day when there's going to be no more brokenness. He's going, to, he's going to make all things new. And that makes it worthwhile for you and I to get up every single morning and know that God has placed us in, in, into His kingdom and it's marching towards this kind of renewal. Brokenness of this world. We've heard that all throughout Mark. The compassion of our God. His divine power plus divine compassion <clears throat> equals everything you need. I know, we still believe we need other stuff, but you actually don't. Jesus is all you need. But that brings me to my third point, and that is this. People are missing the big picture. Every miracle of Christ was meant to be declarative. Every miracle was meant to be instructive. Every miracle was meant to teach His identity. They were meant to begin to help people understand who Jesus was, who this Messiah was, and that that He was the one that the prophets for all those generations had talked about. You remember earlier in the book of Mark when he's, He's expounding on Isaiah and He's like, oh, by the way, hey, all that speaks of Me. And then what are the Pharisees begin to do? He's a blasphemer. They begin to plot His demise and His death. And so it was all to say, hey, everything that you've heard, everything the prophets have been saying over all of these centuries, they're speaking about Me, Jesus would say. The physical miracles would begin to point to a deeper disease, to a deeper issue that could only be healed by the great physician, Jesus Christ. Do you remember the words of Mark after the feeding of the 5,000 and after the, uh, the, 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 uh, Jesus walking in the water? Remember, that they're afraid. They think they see a ghost. and he, he addresses their faith. And then Mark gives us this little kind of editorial note. He says in verse 52, For they consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. We talked about that last week. They did not understand what they were being taught. That there was a metaphor in every provision that would point us to the deeper need to point us to the deeper hope, and that is being Christ. 
But there's something that jumped off the pages of the Word of God to me this week. And it was actually a a sad thing that, that I learned. It is clear that this crowd was pressing toward Jesus as the Word gets out of this miracle worker who is in their region. As he moves from village to village, the sad, broken frenzy of people gather. And there is no evidence of any sense of need for Christ's teaching. Let alone for His forgiveness. How sad is it that by the sovereign plan of God, these men, women, boys, and girls are now in the physical presence of the Messiah, the one who absolutely does have the power to forgive sin. And all they care about is temporal healing, temporal feeding, and temporal provision. You don't ever get a sense of them crying for their need of this deeper salvation that Jesus Christ was the only one that could provide. They're not after Him because of the liberating wisdom that is found in the Gospel. They're not after Him because He has the power to forgive their sins. They're not after Him because He has the power to literally change their life from the inside out. They're after Him because He has the ability to make their physical life comfortable. Now, lest you think that I am a man that is heartless, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with asking or crying out for physical healing. There's nothing wrong for crying out to Christ for physical needs. Not at all. But it's sad. If that's all we want. Sad. Because guess what? Every single person that Jesus began to heal from Mark chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, any person that he healed, guess what? Every single person died. That is the reality of this moment. And how sad is it that when you are in the presence of Christ and your problem is not that you, that you want too much from him, It's that you and I want too little from Him. We only want sometimes the circumstantial change when you and I can ask Him for complete change. That He will often use that circumstance in you to bring that change. Hey, we got a sign-up sheet in the back. For sanctification through trouble this week. Let's sign up. Mm -mm. And that's why God again and again and again will bring about difficulty in your life. And yet so often what I only want is that He change my circumstances rather than asking Him for something so much more changing me. Can I ask you some tough questions? We all right? We okay this morning? What do you want from your Messiah? What do you want from him? 
when are you tempted to question his goodness? If you look back on a good day, you look back on a good week, you look back on a good month, hear me, hear me, hear me. What is it that you call good? Why would you define it as good? What, what do you define as a good day? What do you define as a good week? What do you define as a good month? Is it a day, week, or month without problems? How do you define a good day? How hungry are you that the work that, that grace has begun in you would be completed? How zealous are you that your life would be formed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? I've got to be trans- I gotta be honest with you. So often, you know what I call a good day? It's something that doesn't have problems. Something that doesn't have transformation in my life. That's often what I call a good day. How much do you pray that, that your heart would be ruled by Jesus and Jesus alone? That you would be progressively delivered from all of those socially acceptable idols that dominate our Western culture? How much do you live with the narrative in your mind that says, sin still resides and so I'm still very needy. I still need that grace. I still need that rescue. I still need the God of the Bible. I still need Jesus. Does the gospel shape the way that you think about you? The way that you think about your needs? I would ask it this way. What owns the desires of your heart? Ah, Not on a Sunday morning when we're being self-conscious. We're in church, right? I'm talking about on Tuesday. Wednesday. Thursday. What is it that you really want? What is it that you're actually really, that you're really living for? What is it that your heart is crying out for again and again and again? What is it maybe in someone else that that you are envying? Where are those moments where you do not care so much about being holy? You just want God to make your life easier. What is it that you celebrate this morning in the sanctification work of your Messiah? It's a sad moment as we get ready to transition in Mark. It's just, as I was going through the pages, there just wasn't a lot of change me. There was a lot of my circumstances. And again, I don't know the hearts of all these people, but listen, here's what I'm just trying to teach you. Here's what the Holy Spirit's trying to, trying to help me with this week, is that there's a bigger picture within the picture that you see. Your, your, your moment by moment, the things that, that, that you can see, and yes, they're difficult at times, God says, hey, I've got something bigger for you. I am trying to sanctify your life. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to bring about change. Remember last week, Jesus could have calmed that storm from the hillside when he saw his disciples, but instead he took that walk. 
Instead, they were rowing and they were fighting for up to eight hours. Why? Because he wanted to bring about change in them. Those waves didn't stop until Jesus stepped up into the boat. What a sad moment in this. The Savior has come. He is zealous to preach the gospel of repentance. That's where we started in chapter number one. He has already demonstrated and declared his ability and his willingness to forgive sin. And it appears in the text that there is no hunger whatsoever for the work and the crowd that is so aggressively pursuing him. Can I read a text for you here? It'll be up on the screen. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the richness, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he's raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. If you are a Christian, then you are God's child because grace has opened your eyes to a deeper need. And you and I want to praise God for that. But you know what? We can forget. We can slip back into the desires that, that rule our own hearts and, and, and the ease of life and the ease of relationship. And we forget that, no, God is actually using some of those things in a much bigger, hey, don't, much bigger picture. And if you could take a step back and you could see it for what it really is, that it's not just a miracle here. It's not just the feeding of the 5,000 here. It's not just the healing of this woman's blood issue. That no, this is a grand picture of the redemptive work that Jesus is doing in this world and through you as this world is groaning for that redemption. May God help us. May God help me that I would have my eyes open, that I wouldn't just be so focused on the fact that I'm lost in San Francisco, but that I would have this this guy's mind that has kind of a helicopter view of, no, 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 this is, this is a part of the plan. You might be here and you might say, Ryan, I, I don't know anything that you're talking about. I don't know anything about this faith. I don't think I've ever thought of placing my life in the hands of any type of Messiah. I would plead with you, do not leave this room without doing that. Run to him this morning. You and I, we were hardwired to live connected to God. We were, never, we were never wired to live by ourselves. So I'd encourage you to run to Him. Don't run away from Christ. I'll be in the back at the end. I, I would encourage you to, to use that moment. You can go through the Word of God and we can show you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Christian, do you want Him or just an easy path? Do you want Him? 
or just perfect finances? Do you want him or do you just want relationships that are just hunky-dory? The big picture is, is often he will use those difficulties to bring about something that is far more beautiful. But you got to want him. Got to want him. Let's pray. Red battery, red closed.